0: well good morning again church it's good to be with you this morning as we transition from our worship in song to our worship in the word we're going to go ahead and bow in prayer and ask the lord to guide our time together and prepare our hearts let's go ahead and pray heavenly father we're just so grateful to sing worship and give you praise do your name Uh, we thank you for jesus our savior and our lord Father, we're grateful for your word that we get to study each week. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would uh, write the truths of your word in our hearts and our minds, uh, that it would not just be something we know, but something that changes our lives. And so, Father, what we know not this morning teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're continuing a series that I've entitled Family Matters. Uh, Last time we were together, we talked about what the Bible has to say about prioritizing purity in our lives. This morning, we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about the single life. Uh, I've labeled this morning's message single and satisfied. Single and satisfied, as we consider what God's design for the single life is all about. Whether you're in a season of singleness, that short-term, long-term, or as a lifetime commitment, we're going to talk about God's design for the single life. You know, the unfortunate thing is, too often when we discuss the topic of the single life, sometimes it can be talked about in a negative sense. Sometimes the single life is described as a burden to bear or or a season of suffering to endure instead of a blessing or a gift to be enjoyed as we're going to read about in scripture. Unfortunately, too often a young gal might hear, you know, she's the sweetest thing. Why isn't she not married yet? Or a young man might hear something like, you know, he's got a great career. He's successful. He's good looking. What's, What's the reason he's not married? And so sometimes singles feel the pressures of the single life. I still remember the pressures I felt in regards to the single life uh, back in the day. I, I uh, Growing up in high school into college, uh, I was pretty much single all those years. I started dating the woman who had become my wife towards the end of my college days. And about six months before graduation, we started dating. And then I had to make the decision whether or not we were going to do long distance and so after I graduated college, headed off to graduate school for four years, and for four long, grueling years, we did a long-distance relationship. I still remember coming to the end of those four years, getting closer to graduation, thinking, I am so done with the single life. And I remember the pressures of the single life. I remember that right before graduation, um, I was candidating at a church in Arizona. They flew me out from Dallas to Arizona, flew my wife out from Boston who was going to grad school there at the time. And we stayed in separate hotel rooms because we weren't yet married, but we were engaged to be married. So it's just funny thinking back to that season. And for some, as you Consider the pressures of the single life and the discussions that are said about the single life. Uh, You know that it can be a struggle sometimes. And so this morning we're going to talk about what does God's word has to say about the subject as we consider 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 7 to 9 and then we're going to skip to verses 25 to 40 Um, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church here. He's answering questions that they have regarding topics like marriage and the single life. And here he picks up on what it means to be single and God's design for it. So I'd invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the word as we consider God's design and what it means to be single and satisfied. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 beginning in verse 7 reads this way. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Picking up in verse 25, now concerning virgins. I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they have none. Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. Verse 32, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how we may please the Lord, But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she has passed the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by, the lo- by law as long as Her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. The Word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. This morning, I want to take some time to talk about God's design for the single life. What it means to be single and satisfied as we take some time to consider our text. What is God's design? What are the advantages that are outlined when it comes to the single life? Uh, in verses 7 to 9, where we begin in our text, we see the single life is a gift to be enjoyed. The single life is a gift to be enjoyed. And that's how Paul describes it in these verses. As he describes it as a gift to be enjoyed, he begins by stating his preference. He sees it as such a gift that he's willing to say, my wish and my desire is that all of you would be as I am. The single life is such a gift to him that he says, I wish you had the same gifting and I wish you had the same calling. Why? Well, Paul He's probably finishing up his second missionary journey as he's writing this letter. And as he's gone about his ministry, the freedom that he has had, free from con- the concerns and the divided interests of married life, has freed him up to serve the Lord in the capacity that he has been called. And so he says, this is my desire that, that as I see it as a gift, you would see it as a gift and that you would be like me. And so he says it, verse 7 he says, for I wish that all men were even as I myself. What does he mean by even as I myself? He means that all would be called and gifted like him to be single and satisfying. In a moment, Paul is going to say, not everyone's got the gift, Not everyone has been called in this capacity, but as long as you are single, whether you're in a season of singleness for a short-term period or a long-term period or a lifetime commitment to the Lord, you have the gift of celibacy, we're told here that Paul serves as a great example for those who are in a season of singleness. And what his example is, is to be single and satisfied, single and content. Whether you are single because you're not yet married or you're single because you have been married and you are no longer married, Paul gives us a good example of what it looks like to be single and satisfied. And it just brings me back to Philippians chapter 4 where Paul tells us where he finds his satisfaction, where he finds his contentment, regardless of his lot in life, he has learned to be content. Philippians 4, 11 to 13 reads this way, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul has gone through many challenges, missionary journeys, and difficulties along the way. He's been imprisoned, He's been out of prison. He's gone hungry. He's, he's, he's been full. There have been times where he's been beaten for his faith, times when he's had his health, and he says, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. He's learned to be content. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So whatever season of life you may find yourself, now Paul can say this in any circumstance, whether he's in prison or not, whether he's going through these, uh, facing the challenges of life, he knows that he's learned to be content and he serves as a great example for what it looks like to be single and satisfied and he begins first by describing it as a gift, the single life as a gift, by saying that's my preference, that all of you would be as I am. Secondly, he acknowledges that not everyone has the gift. As you continue to read in verse 7, he says, But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Paul has been called and gifted to be single and satisfied. But Paul goes on to say, not everyone has been gifted in this capacity. But however you have been called to be single, whatever season of singleness that may be, short-term, long-term, or a lifetime commitment, you should find satisfaction in the Lord in that season. But Paul says, I acknowledge that not not everyone has the gift. It's interesting to note here that the single life and to be single is described as a gift. Some would say, are we just talking about a lifetime commitment to celibacy? I'd like to suggest, no, we're talking about the season of singleness you're in, whether short-term, long-term, or a lifetime commitment, it is a gift and should be treated that way. It is a gift and should be discussed that way. And what is a spiritual gift? Well, in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 12, it's the same term that's used to describe the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7 says this There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So, just like the spiritual gifts, the gift to be single is a gift in the sense that it is from the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from the Lord. Verse 5 says There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but It is the same God who works in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So what's the purpose of the spiritual gifts and what's the purpose of the unique season of singleness that you may find yourself in? The purpose is to serve Christ and build up the body as you are in that unique season. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as God's stewards of the manifold grace of God. For those who are in a season of singleness, this is a reminder to you that you can serve the Lord in a unique way that you could not if you were married. You must see it from the vantage point of Scripture that the life that is, that a single life, being single, is a gift. From God, And Paul acknowledges that some have the gift, others do not. And then thirdly, he doesn't just acknowledge it, he provides his recommendation. As we read in verse 8, he says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am. Now, Paul is not saying marriage is bad, marriage is not good. He's saying that the single life is better. Marriage is good, but what is better is remaining single in your service to the Lord and your devotion to Him. But he acknowledges, not everyone's been called that way. Not everyone's been gifted that way. If you've been called and gifted to be single in a season of life, short-term, long-term, or a lifetime commitment, honor God in that. But if you've been called to be married, honor God in that as well. It is good for them to remain even as I am. So Paul's encouragement, his recommendation, is if you're single, if you're widowed, if you're a widower... Remain that way. If you have been called and gifted to be single, stay that way so that you can avoid, as we're going to see in a moment, some of the challenges that come with married life. Some of the divided interests that you may have or some of the concerns you may have as a married person that you would not as a single person. Verse 9 says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. When we're talking about burning with passion, we're talking about burning with physical desire. And so, how can I know if I have the calling and the gift for the single life for a long period of time or perhaps a lifetime of singleness? Well, are you burning? If you're burning with physical desire, maybe that's a motivation to go ahead and pursue a spouse, pursue a husband or a wife. But while you are in that season of singleness, find contentment and satisfaction in the Lord, and so if you just look at that verse right there, it's a reminder that sometimes we talk about the single life is pretty easy when you're single. Sometimes married folks who get married, have children, look back on those single years and said, "Man, we had nothing to worry about back then." I mean, we have a spouse to care for. We've got children to watch after. Man, those single years were, man, I can't imagine the blessing those single folks have. It's such an enjoyable time of life. But the single life has its challenges. Single life has its difficulties. It has its struggles. There is a pursuit for purity. There is sometimes a struggle with loneliness. And so we're reminded that the the single life can be a struggle. And God knows that. And that's why we have his teaching and his instruction regarding the single life. So what's God's design for the single life? What's the advantage to it? The single life is a gift from God and should be treated that way. I want to encourage us in the room, whenever we talk about the single life, whether you're single or not, that you would talk about it not as a burden to be endured or a form of suffering to get through, but rather a gift from God to be enjoyed. As you treat The single life as a gift, how do you do that first? uh, As a gift, remember, it may not always feel like it. As a gift, the single life may not always feel like it. You struggle with loneliness, as we said. There is a pursuit for purity that is an ongoing struggle. And there is a sense of discontentment as you compare yourself with others and their relationships and people in different seasons of life. I could go back to my seminary years. It was an interesting thing to watch the different relationship statuses of those on campus, because in seminary, which uh, is a four-year degree, there was a uh, singles apartments, which was seven floors of singles, and we also had a married apartment, which was 10 floors of married folks. And there were some folks, when you're in seminary I mean, these guys and gals they're, they're like, "We're ready to get married. They some date just like a month or two, and they're like, "Let's go, you know." And so they, they get going and so there were some who I began seminary with that by the time we were done four years later, they were, weren't just married, they had three or four kids at graduation. I mean, it's quite the experience there. And so it can be easy for you to compare your relationship status or your current season of life with everyone around you. My prayer for those in a season of singleness is that you would not compare yourself to others, but your focus would be on the Lord. Yes, it's a gift. Yes, it may not always feel like it, but your contentment is not dependent on your relationship with a man or a woman. It's it's contingent on your relationship with God. He's the one who provides you contentment. He's the one who gives you joy and satisfaction because of whatever season you're in, he's the one who will give you the fulfillment you long for and desire. And I can tell you this, if you are not fulfilled and satisfied in him as a single person, you certainly won't find satisfaction and fulfillment when you're married. And it's a reminder, you just take some time to talk to a, a married person who thought that the marriage is the thing that would solve the, the emptiness of their heart or their, their ultimate pursuits, and they will tell you, God is the only one who will give you the contentment that you need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So as a gift, it may not always feel as, like a gift. Secondly, as a gift, fighting for your purity is worth it. Fighting for your purity is worth it. Whatever season of singleness you may find yourself in, you know, while God can redeem it, and I want you to know that God can redeem anything. He can turn any life around, regardless of the mistakes you made or your partner has made in the past. God can bring new life, and he does, but God didn't design us to enter into a marriage with a baggage of sexual immorality. If you have the baggage of sexual immorality, you better believe the God that we worship and serve is a God of grace, mercy, and love, and he can redeem anything. But my prayer for those who are single, entering into marriage someday, if God's called you there, don't enter in with the baggage of sexual immorality because too many marriages are corrupted by the comparisons they have of previous relationships or images of people that they've had that they compare their spouse to. God doesn't want you to enter into that season of marriage with the baggage of sexual immorality. If it's there, God can redeem it. God is gracious, merciful, and kind. He can turn it around, but as long as you have your purity, hold fast to it. It's a gift, and so maintain it. Thirdly, as a gift, use it to serve in the local church. For the single folks in the room... For the widows or the widowers, you in your season of life has the ability to serve God in a unique way that you could not if you were married. You have the flexibility. You have the freedoms. You have the availability that some people perhaps could not. And so how is God calling you to serve? Some single folks think to themselves, you know, I'll start serving the Lord once I'm married or I'm in a different season. No, start serving him now. Get to know what your gifts are, what the needs of the body are. And it's amazing how God can work in and through that. And so if you are single, serve God in the current season of life you're in. Some of singles think to themselves, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to be at this church. I don't know if I'm going to move from one place to another. Is membership a good next step for me? Absolutely. Whether you're here for the next two weeks or the next two years or two decades... Uh, be a member, serve with your gifts and one of, one of the one of the blessings of having a formal form of membership is as you move to another church, we can recommend your gifts and your and how God has gifted you to the next church as you move from one place to another and that 's a blessing indeed for our church and the next church you go to and so first, the single life what 's god 's design for it it 's a gift to be. Enjoy. Secondly, as we continue through our text, beginning in verse 25, going to verse 35, the single life is an opportunity to serve God in a way that you couldn't if you were married. It's an opportunity to serve God, let me put it this way, with undivided devotion. The ultimate pursuit of the life of the Christian should be God, should be the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Westminster Confession, it asks and answers the question well, what's the chief end of man? The answer to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I believe that's a great answer to that question. Uh, John Piper once put it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The ultimate pursuit of our lives should be Jesus Christ. The ultimate pursuit of our life should be to know Christ, is to serve Christ and to be available to to share Christ to the ends of the earth. And as a single person, you have an opportunity to serve him with undivided devotion that you could not if you were married. In verses 25 to 28, you have the opportunity to serve God without the troubles of married life. Verses 25 to 28, you have the ability to serve God without the troubles of married life. Verse 25, Paul is going to again recommend that the singles remain single if they've been called and gifted, and that the married folks remain married as they are, in accordance with their calling, and he says this as he introduces this command or this instruction. He says, now concerning virgins, now concerning the unmarrieds, the singles, I have no commandment from the Lord yet. I have judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Paul is basically saying there isn't previous revelation on this, but God who by his mercy has counted me trustworthy, I am writing to you through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, of course, says all scriptures God breathed and is profitable. So Paul, as he writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives some instructions on this topic of the single life. And he goes on to say in verse 26, the motivation for his instruction that the singles remain single according to their gifting and calling and the marrieds remain married. He says, I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress. And so... One of the ways that you can serve God as a single as opposed to a married person is you are free from the troubles that come to a married person as you would a single as you face personal distress. Now the question is, what is this personal distress we're referring to here? It could be a number of things I'd like to suggest, probably persecution. In the years ahead, as persecution becomes more intensified, Uh, It is easier, you're more free to serve the Lord as a single than you would a married person. Why? Because if persecution comes, as a single person, you don't have to worry and care about your wife or your husband. As a single person, you don't have to have attachments or concerns about your children. You can simply serve the Lord. As a husband and as a father, if persecution comes, I get arrested, I get put into prison as I continue to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have concerns for my wife. I have concerns for our children. Those who are single are free from those concerns. If today we were to say, there is a great need in a closed country somewhere in Africa, and we need somebody in the next two weeks to leave everything they have here and go there to assist in the teaching and preaching, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need you to get up and go right now. How many of the married people would say, I can go without talking to my spouse or talking to my family? That would be a big problem, right? A single person can say, hey, I need to pray about it. I need to talk to the Lord about it. But very much so, if I've got the calling and the gifting, I'm going, Because you're free to do that as a single person and to serve the Lord free from the troubles that come with present distress that a married person might experience. And so in your single season, remember you can serve the Lord in a way that you possibly could not as a married person. Maybe as a single person, you would go on a mission trip that you wouldn't as a married person. I mean, in that season of singleness, don't waste it, use it. Consider how God wants to use you in the church and in missions as you serve the Lord, to, as you honor and glorify him. And so as you serve him, you, you're free from the, the troubles that come with present distresses, but also the troubles that come with marriage in general. Uh, He goes on to say, I suppose, therefore, this is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Verse 27, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Verse 28, But even if you do marry... You haven't sinned. And so marriage is not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but the single life is better. That's what Paul is saying. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Paul is talking about the trouble, not just in terms of personal dist- uh, present distresses, but the troubles that come when two sinful and Self-willed people come together. Even though we're saved and we're in the process of being sanctified, looking more more like Jesus every day, when you have two people being pressed together, the trouble there is is speaking of of two people being pressed together. And whenever you have two people who are strong-willed and selfish being pressed together, even though they're saved and being sanctified, you're going to experience trouble. You're going to experience conflict. Now, the question is how you're going to resolve that conflict in a biblical way, but one of the blessings of marriage is it helps expose our selfishness and our self-willed nature. To be honest, I thought I was a pretty selfless person before I married my wife. I didn't know how self-willed I was, and then you get married, and, and marriage didn't cause me to become selfish. It revealed the selfishness that was already there. And God's design for our marriages is that as you look back on the day you were married, Lord willing, you are less selfish and self-centered than you were the day you were married. And Lord willing, your spouse who is being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ today is less selfish and self-centered than they were when they were first married. And, and, and that's the troubles that, that, that happen because they're two different people coming together. When I first married my wife, uh, I still remember she would do interesting things, that I wondered why she did them. After a meal, she would, <laughs> she would leave uh, the leftovers out with the cover on top, and so first time I saw it, I covered it, put it in the fridge, and I did that for, for a time, and then I finally said, "Hun, why do you just leave it there and, instead of putting it in the fridge? Not that I can't do it, but I was just wondering, why don't you just cover the lid and then put it in the fridge, and she said, well, that's how it's supposed to be done. That's how my father and mother did it. She always left out the leftovers. She, he, he covered it, put it in the fridge, and so that's how it's done. When we were first married, I, I had a unique way of folding my clothes. And I still remember seeing the way she folded my clothes, and I was thinking to myself, I would rather just do the laundry myself. I've, I've, I've you know, I'm not there anymore. I would rather... <laughs> fold the laundry myself instead of having you fold it this unique way. And those are small things, right? Those are those are minuscule things. But but when we're talking about bigger issues within marriage, you're raising your family, the place you're going to live, the career path you're going to take, you've got to be in agreement. And so there are troubles that come up. And Paul says, I wish to spare you from them. To spare you from those troubles and those conflicts that come with marriage. doesn't mean marriage is not a, is not a good thing. It's a good thing. But the single life is a blessed thing. It's better. And you can serve the Lord free from those troubles of married life. Secondly, you can serve the Lord free from worldly distractions that married life may bring. Worldly distractions that married life might bring. Verses 29 to 31, it says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. Now, some would say, well, we're talking about the brevity of life. No, we're not just talking about the brevity of life. We're talking about the fact that we're living in a unique time in redemptive history. We're living in between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. And the second coming of Christ is now uh, now going to happen sooner than it did back when this was written. And so the return of Christ could happen any moment. And so it says, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had wives. None. In other words, what Paul is saying is nothing should get in the way of your eternal priorities. Paul is not saying that you should treat your wife as if she's not your wife. You should neglect her and not care for her and and, uh, provide for her. No, it's saying that marriage, as you care for her, love her, and provide for her, and do everything that a husband should do, that marriage should not get in the way of serving the Lord. Your number one priority is the Lord, your service to Him. You exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The next most important earthly relationship you have is your spouse, but your spouse should never get in the way of the Lord in your service to Him. It can be easy for that to happen. You get distracted by a marriage, you invest in that marriage, but you fail to serve and honor God. Any marriage where Christ is not the center is a dangerous place to be. God should be your number one. And so nothing should get in the way of your eternal priorities, not a spouse not emotions. It goes on to say, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those things shouldn't get in the way of your eternal priorities. You're weeping or you're rejoicing. There are times when we weep, when we grieve. There are times when we are full of sorrow because of loss or tragedy or intense suffering. But that shouldn't hinder our service to the Lord. There's a time to weep and mourn, but there's also a time to get up and say, Lord, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, but now it's time for me to serve the Lord. The time that we have on this earth is limited. I must go about knowing God and making him known to the the ends of the earth. I can't be throwing a pity party forever. There comes a time where I'm going to move forward and serve God. Lord, Don't let weeping and even rejoicing and celebratory natures of the earthly manner get in the way of your eternal priorities. There comes a time to say, hey, we're here to serve the Lord. Then it goes on to say, those who buy as though they did not possess, don't let your investments get in the way of your eternal priorities. Verse 31, and those who use this world as not misusing it for the form of this world is passing away. Summation. Don't let anything in this world, not even your marriage, not emotions, not your investments, get in the way of investing in eternal matters. Your investment in your relationship with God, your service to Him, as you abide in Him, as you pursue, him, as you love Him and glorify Him with an undivided devotion, because our main purpose on earth is to glorify Him and to enjoy Him. Forever, So the single life gives you an opportunity to serve God free from the troubles of married life, frees you from the distractions that come with worldly pursuits, even marriage that can get away of your eternal priorities. And thirdly, it gives you the ability to serve the Lord free from the concerns of married life and the divided interests of married life. Let me go on to read verse 32. It says, but I want you to be without care. Paul says, I want you to be without concern. If you're single, you're a widow or widower, if you are unmarried and you have not been married, one of the benefits if you've been called and gifted to do that is you're free from the concerns of married life. He goes on to clarify, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. If you're single, your number one desire and pursuit is to serve the Lord. Should be if you're married too. But especially if you are single, because that's the context we're talking about, you should wake up in the morning and say, God, how can I glorify you? How can I serve you? How can I abide in you? How can I honor and glorify you? You are my ultimate desire. I want you to be glorified in me as I am satisfied in you, because that is my number one longing, my top pursuit. Verse thirty-three says, "But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife." Now, when we're talking about the things of the world, we're not necessarily talking about uh, sinful things. We're talking about relational things. We're talking about divided interests. If you're married and you're called in that capacity, you're you're serving the Lord. You're honoring Him, but you also have. Divided interest to serve your spouse and to serve your children and those within your family. And he goes on to say, verse 34, there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. Her undivided devotion, that's our longing, that's our desire. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Wives, how can I please my husband? Husband, how can I please my wife? How can I care for our children? I've got divided interests. While the advantage to being single is the Lord is my priority. He is my pursuit. There are no divided interests. And so if you are living the single life, which is short-term, long-term, or a lifetime commitment, while you are in that season of singleness, may God be your number one priority. May ye be your top pursuit. May you find satisfaction in him in that season. And it's amazing how God blesses that. I don't know. If you're looking for a mate. I think one of the most attractive things that you can find in a mate is someone who is following after Jesus. Jesus is their top pursuit. You see beauty and love within an individual who serves God, who honors God, who pursues God. Verse 35, and this I say for your own profit. Paul wants to put this in here because some are thinking the single life is hard. It's difficult. It's difficult to see it as a gift sometimes. It's a struggle. I feel the pressures of the single life. And he says, I'm telling you this for your own profit. If you've been called and you've been gifted, um, not that I may put a leash on you, not that it might be a hindrance to you but that it would be a blessing to you he says for what is prop but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction what is God's design for the single life that you would serve the Lord with undivided devotion free from the troubles of married life free from the 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 divided interests of married life, uh, free from the distractions of the world that you may find in married life, but that you would serve the Lord with undivided devotion. If I could just give us a couple takeaways in regards to what that looks like. The first is this, seize the opportunity to make God your top priority. If you're in a season of single, in a short-term, long-term, lifetime if you're in a season of singleness, you're not yet married or one day you are, or, excuse me, after married, uh, you may be a widowed or widower or because of death, desertion um, or divorce, you are in that season of singleness, this is a reminder to find your contentment in the Lord and to seize the opportunity to make God your top priority. Um, We mentioned the Westminster Confession and it asks and answers the question, What is the chief end of man? I want to ask you this question What is your chief end? Not just what is the chief end of man, why has God created us, but why has God created you and what's your chief end? When you wake up in the morning, is it to glorify yourself? Is it to get ahead? Is it to pursue your definition of success or is it really to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever? What's your top pursuit? Make God your top priority. Secondly, seize the opportunity to make God not just your top priority but to make Him your top pursuit moment by moment and day by day. Uh, Yesterday, or this past weekend, we had our uh, church camp out uh, out um, in Cottage Grove. And yesterday, On Saturday, uh, we had one of our missionaries come out, uh, Dave and Lynn Johnson. And they're actually in a transition in their ministries. They've served for 21 years out in Baja, Mexico, and uh, they've been serving the Lord faithfully there, and they have equipped a team to carry on their work there. But God has brought Dave and Lynn into a new season of ministry where they're going to take their experience and what they've learned and the truths of God's word and begin to share that model with people all around the world. And so I had an opportunity to follow up with Dave after he shared with us some of the updates with our group there. And he said some of the things that he'll be doing next is he'll be heading to Cambodia if, if everything goes well with his health so we can be praying for his current health situation. In November, he'll be going to Cambodia. After that, he's heading to the Philippines. And then he has plans later to go to Africa as he'll be taking... All of his experience, all that God has done through their work there, and then share it um, all, all around the world. And what he was sharing is where it all began for him. He said that one day he was at a conference. He remembers it because it was 1969. And he was a youth leader at the time. And there was a, a gentleman standing up front and he was reading Isaiah 6 8 that says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, I send. Me. And he said they were sitting together and he was a youth leader at the time, and the pastor or the minister up front said, Is there anyone who would commit themselves to the Lord like Isaiah? Who, who when the question is asked, who when the question is asked, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? That you would say, Here I am, send me. And he said, Well, I was a youth leader, so I figured it'd probably be a good example that I stand up. And let the folks see, hey, I'm here to serve the Lord and commit my life to the Lord. Then he said this. He said, "The, the minister asked him then to open, if you stood up and then sat down, open your Bible and in the front of it, write down the date. And it was 1969. And then he said, after that, write down what you did. I commit to serve the Lord and go where he sends me that he would be the top pursuit of my life. And Dave Johnson says, as I look back on my life, God has used just a farmer boy who grew up to take the gospel to Baja, Mexico, and then take it all around the world as he continuing to be faithful for the cause of Christ, all because he stood, not just in that moment, but committed his life to Christ to say, you're my top pursuit. If there is a question, who can we send, that we would say, Lord, send me. Can I call on every single person in the room, unmarried, whatever season of life you may be in, that you would say, Lord, send me. My top pursuit, my number one desire is to follow after your will for my life. Can I call on not just the single folks to do that, but every married individual in the room as well? Is God our top priority? Is God our top pursuit? So first, the single life is a gift. Secondly, the single life is an opportunity to serve the Lord. And lastly, what is the design and opportunity and advantage of the single life? The single life is... Is, is an opportunity to be free from the permanence and the responsibilities of married life. Free from the permanence and the responsibilities of married life. Let's go ahead and wrap up our text in verse 36. It says, but if a man thinks he's bef- behaving improperly toward his vir- virgin. Now, Paul's giving some instructions um, to fathers. Some people look at this and say, well, are we talking about fathers? Or are we talking about the husbands? In this day and age, Uh, you had arranged marriages. And so Paul is probably talking to the fathers here and he says... But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. So if in, a pre-arranged, in an arranged marriage, he says, yeah, it's good for her to marry. So in fitting within her gift and calling, go ahead. She, he doesn't sin. There's no sin there. Verse 37. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. If it's in the best interests of the Lord, And according to his purposes, perhaps it's not the right time to marry. Verse 38, so then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. In other words, marriage is good, the single life is better. And then he concludes this way, and he says, verse 39, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. Marriage is a permanent union. God's design for marriage is that it would be a lifelong commitment. The Bible is very clear on this, and we'll talk more about divorce and remarriage in a a message later and what the Bible has to say about that. But God hates divorce. He's very clear on that. There are a couple circumstances where he uh, gives permission, adultery, desertion. We can talk more about that later. But God's design for marriage is that it would be a lifelong union. Why does he hate divorce? Not because he hates divorced people, but because he hates what divorce does to them. He hates what divorce does to families, what it does to the the couple who is being separated, but also to the children. And so we're reminded that God's design for marriage is life. It's a permanent union and should be honored in that manner. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes. And then it says, only in the Lord. So, in the Lord, you have the opportunity to get remarried, verse 40, but she is happier if she remains as she is. Some may say that's a hard word to receive. She is happier if she remains as she is according to judgment. Well, is, but she is happier if she remains as she is. Then Paul says this, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. you got to love how Paul gives us these instructions. He's writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here as he talks to us about the permanence of marriage. Let me talk to the singles in the room whatever season of singleness you may be at, a season of singleness, long-term, short-term, or a lifetime commitment, when you decide to enter into a union, into a marriage, you're entering into a permanent relationship. If I could encourage those who are singles and they feel one day they feel as if God is going to call them to be married, don't neglect going to premarital counseling of some form. Any pastor will tell you that for those who... Avoid that or don't do it. It really, later in life, catches up with you. And so if I could encourage folks in the room, if you are single and you have not been married or you're looking to get married, find someone to do premarital counseling with. We have, at our church, we have pastors who will do that with you. Myself, we got Pastor Greg, and we have different folks in our church who can help you navigate that season of life as you enter into it. And then some people will say sometimes, well, I don't know if I want to go to premarital counseling because I don't know if the pastor is going to tell me, probably not a good idea that you guys get married. But can I tell you what a blessing it would be for you if a pastor was honest enough to tell you, probably not the best thing to marry that person, and it's better for you to cry now because you don't have him than to cry later because you got him. And what a wonderful thing to have someone who can encourage you to go about the path in light of God's Word. We're not talking about man's wisdom, we're talking about. God's wisdom. And so marriage is a lifelong commitment. It's permanent. And if you are single, you are free from being bound to your husband or your wife and you have that freedom. And so Paul says, if you're gonna get married, that's good. But if you're going to remain single, that's better. If I could give you one final takeaway, it would be enjoy your freedom. If you're single and satisfied, enjoy your freedom. And if I could give us just three takeaways, it'd be this. First, don't believe the myths about the single Life. Don't believe it. First myth to be single is to be second class. The Word of God clearly states if you are single, you are not second class. You are gifted, you are able to serve the Lord, and you are free to serve Him in a way that a married person might not be able to. Second myth the single life is always lonely. Yeah, it can be difficult at times. Yes, it can be a struggle, but God designed us to experience. Um, community in the context of the local church. And so if you're in a season of loneliness or singleness, get involved. Join a group. Get in touch with a Bible study. Get more in touch with the different ministries of the church. And I will say this. For me, I always felt like when I was in my single years, one of the greatest blessings was serving. One of the greatest ways to get the most out of church and find companionship, just in friendships, or even if you're looking to find a mate, is to serve in the church. Single, the single life is, is always lonely. That's a myth. third myth. The single life is always easy. We know it's not. It can be difficult and it can be a struggle, but God will provide you the contentment that you need. So don't believe the myth. Secondly, prioritize and focus on growing in your relationship with the Lord. May your top priority in this season be Christ and him crucified. Honor him, serve him, love him, glorify him, abide in him and see what God will do as he blesses you. And lastly, If I could sum it up with this, if not gifted for celibacy, pray for a godly spouse. If God hasn't called you to a lifetime of celibacy and you don't have that gift, while you maintain your satisfaction in the Lord, continue to pray. And as you wait, here's just a few takeaways I would give us. Firstly, focus on being the right person as you find, or focus on being the right person as you look for the right person. Now, sometimes we're saying, here's my list, and these are my 25 non-negotiables. My husband-to-be is going to be like Jesus. And then you finally find him, and you learn that you're not compatible because you're not in a right place with the Lord. Focus on yourself. Get in the right place with the Lord. Be the right person before you find the right person. Secondly, never consider marriage to an unbeliever. Don't do it. You can say, oh, he'll change. He'll eventually trust in Christ. There are too many relationships where you see turned out the wrong way. Um, Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 6. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. Thirdly, guard your moral purity. Guard your moral purity. Flee sexual immorality. Fourthly, honor God in your choice. And also honor your parents. I think we, we we don't do that enough. Take time to honor your parents in the process of pursuing a mate. And it's a great thing that God has provided you godly parents in that. And then fifthly, gentlemen, take initiative. For any of my single men in the room, and there are single ladies, if I could encourage the men to step up and step out. There are young ladies who exemplify the beauty of their commitment and their pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes open. Serve in the local church and ask God to help you find the right person but take initiative and go and find you a wife if God's called you accordingly. And to the young ladies who are looking for a spouse, continue to make yourself available to the Lord as God provides the availability of who that next spouse is. Can I pray for us? Father, we're grateful for your word that covers the topic of the single life. And Father, we know that while the single life can, is described as a gift, it may not always feel like it. And so I want to pray, Father, just for those who are struggling, those who are fighting the, the battles of, that come with the single life, those who feel the pressures of the single life, I pray that they would find contentment and satisfaction in Christ, in you, that, Lord, as they wait on you to work and move in their hearts and their lives, Lord, that, that, that as they seek to glorify you, honor you, worship you, praise you, abide in you, Lord, that you would give them the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And remind them, Father, of your sovereign care as you're guiding and leading their path. Lord, we know that you don't just work in the big things. You work in the small things, in the very details. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would remind those who are in that season of your presence that is with them. I pray, Lord, for those who are looking for a spouse. I pray, Lord, for the one who is looking to marry a husband, a godly husband or a godly wife, that you would not just give them, Father, a contentment in the season, Lord, but you would give them wisdom, that you would bring them to the right person and in the right in your timing, Lord, they would wait on you. And Father, we're always blessed as you work and move in the relationships of our church and provide the fruit that comes with that. Father, I don't want to close this morning without giving someone an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of their life. If there's someone here today who has never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and doesn't have the assurance that they'll spend eternity with God and his people forever, I pray that they would say this prayer in their hearts as I share it out louder, aloud. Loud. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I miss the mark. I need you. I know sin is the thing that separates me from a holy God, but I know that's why Christ came to bridge the gap, to forgive my sins. As I make Jesus Lord of my life, as my Savior of my life, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, we're grateful for your word and we're grateful to you, the one who gives it. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.